Yeah, today I have the privilege to wrap, of wrapping up this Summer on the Mount series. And I've loved this series because uh, it's about Jesus's like main teaching when he was here. And it's about how to live like a practical flourishing life in the style of God's kingdom. And I'm excited to teach day, today, especially like, you know, one of my friends put it, batting cleanup. And, uh, and I'm excited because I really love synthesizing and summarizing things. So it feels like this total gift to me um, to get to like summarize some of what we learned in the Summer on the Mount series. And also today's text is very practical. So, uh, and as a highly practical person, I love this. Um, and so this is what we're in store for today. So before I uh, keep going, let's read the text together. It's Matthew 7, 24 through 29. It's gonna be here up on the screen, the screen and it says, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we listen to your teaching this morning. We want to learn from it. And we believe that you do teach with authority. So we welcome your authority to speak into our lives right now, God, through your word. And I ask God that um, you would turn us all into people who faithfully practice your teaching. Invite us into that good life, Lord, that stabilizing life. Lord, we love you, and uh, God, I just ask that you would help me as just an, a normal guy. Um, may I honor you with my words and what I've prepared to teach this congregation. May I be of service to my brothers and sisters today. Help me, Lord. Amen. All right, so I believe that in these verses, Jesus calls us into the stability that comes from being practitioners of his teaching. And in calling us into this stability, he brings a remedy for the instability of the world. Sometimes life feels unstable, right? Work's crazy, dating's hard, communication with family is a feat, staying physically healthy is a task, taking care of kids is a struggle, finding out your kid's being bullied or finding out that your kid is the bully. How do we keep our heads above water in this sort of stuff? Now add to this, all we learn about what's going on in the world and the sort of pain and responsibility we feel for what's going on in Virginia, in Texas, in all these places, and tragedies that are happening in our own lives, like what's going on with the Lee family right now and what they're facing. How do we keep our head above water? 
to use a quick pop culture reference. So Arcade Fire put out this song, uh, Creature Comfort, on their last album. And I think they have their finger on the pulse of what's going on in uh, broader culture today. And the song, uh, first of all, like to set up like the sound of it, it starts off like with this low angsty, like teenage angst sound, this low synthesizer, and it's just like the sound of clenched fists. And then uh, there's like this light kind of like airy synthesizer that plays over it, and they're like both going at the same time. It's like the sound of like birds dancing in the sky. And these are the lyrics. They say, some boys hate themselves, spend their lives resenting their fathers. Some girls hate their bodies, stand in the mirror and wait for the feedback, saying, God, make me famous. If you can't, just make it painless. And the chorus just goes. It goes on and on, I don't know what I want. On and on, I don't know what I want it. On and on, I don't know what I want. On and on, I don't know why I want it. Creature comfort makes it painless. So these lyrics, I think, demonstrate the profound lack of cl clarity around what life is for and why it matters. And I think it highlights for us what's going on uh, in broader culture today. And some of it, I don't want to just relocate this to the world. I think this is like totally part of our lives as believers as well, that there's these bouts of self-hatred, resentment, vanity, unwillingness to feel pain, an aimless confusion that can be part of our lives. And this is the foundation of sand upon which some of our patterns of life are built on. Now, wouldn't it be great to find a sense of stability that can't be found in this way, these patterns of the world? Luckily, Jesus has something else in mind for us, and he has the authority to communicate it and what he has in mind is the stability, the resilience that comes from being practitioners of Jesus's teachings. And I know the word practitioners seems perhaps oddly placed when it comes to Christianity. It seems more appropriate for uh, medical practitioners or uh, yoga instructors or like guilds people like, know, like cobblers or uh, I don't know, ironsmiths or something. Like these are practitioners. But I believe Jesus is inviting us to see ourselves as believers, as his followers, as practitioners of his way at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And oftentimes in Christianity, we focus on other parts of Christianity, other parts that are true and very good, um, such as the deity of Christ, his atoning sacrifice, the love of the Father, God's creation of the world, and so on. And it's connected to all of this, but it's not exactly what these verses are about today. These verses are about being practitioners of Jesus's teaching. I'm gonna be drawing like heavily, heavily from Dallas Willard. In fact, like I just wanna do a blanket citation of Dallas Willard for this sermon. Um, in The Divine Conspiracy, uh, he invites people to see Jesus as the most brilliant teacher who ever lived. And more on that in a little while. And his brilliance is that he teaches people how to live the flourishing life of God's kingdom. He has important things to say that are worth listening to. And here's, here's the more important part, that are worth actionable practice in our lives. Likewise, Dallas Willard stresses that the Christian life, 
The practice of Jesus' teachings is not a trying, but it's a training. Not a trying, but a training in Christian life. A training in godliness and in love. So all of this about being practitioners of Jesus' way of life in mind, let me tell you about something special that I cooked up for us this morning. It's gonna sound cheesy, and I don't even care because I think it's true, all right? And I wanna tell you about it, and I call it the Jesus Christ Love Dojo, all right? Or the JCLD. So what's the Jesus Christ Love Dojo? Let me tell you all about it. You wanna learn to love extravagantly well, to be a generous, giving, caring, reconciling person of integrity, wholeheartedness, a competent friend, spouse, coworker, parent, dater, dog walker, whatever your thing is, do you wanna do it competently? You want to be excellent in it, proficient and wholehearted in your love. You guys need the Jesus Christ Love Dojo, all right? <laughs> Join it, join it, folks. And I'm inviting all of us to join it today. Or actually, if you believe in Jesus, you're already joined it. You, have already, you are already part of the Jesus Christ Love Dojo. You're already a member. But maybe it's like the, that gym that we have a membership for, but maybe we don't go as often to work out as perhaps it would be appropriate if we want to get the results that we want out of our lives. So now, using the gym membership, practically doing it, that's what this text is about. So Jesus tells us the parable of the wise and foolish builders. And as I've already said, I believe this is Jesus' call into the stable life that comes from being practitioners of his teaching. And first, since it's a parable, we need to know that its message isn't super direct, all right? It takes a little more like massage of interpretation to get at what it means. And it's less straightforward than some of, other, uh, of Jesus' other teachings, such as uh, when he says earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, forgive other people when they sin against you. Uh, and he says that earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, how to apply that teaching, maybe that's the part that might be the challenge, but what the message is, that's pretty clear. Forgive other people when they sin against you, right? In this parable, he sets up a story for us, for us to interpret. And in the, in the story, there are two builders, a wise one and a foolish one. The wise one builds a home on the rock, the foolish one on the sands. And when disaster strikes, the home on the rock stands while the one on the sand crumbles. What does this story represent? And this is where, uh, you know, if you ever took a logic class, like let's think back to being in logic class, and one of the things that they talk about is analogy. And analogies are the framework for understanding parables. And analogies are usually statements like, this is to that as that is to this, all right? So Jesus kindly gives us the correlations of the analogy in this parable. And it happens, we can, it becomes really clear for us when we read verses 24 and 26 side by side. So we're gonna do that real quick. 24, it says, therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This side by side, but everyone who hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. How do we interpret this text? Um, perhaps you know the song, On Christ a Solid Rock I Stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Um, 
That song, it's a good song and it's true and it's not an accurate interpretation of this passage, all right? It's true, it's, we're singing truths. But the, to tease it out, we need to look at what the analogy is in this parable. It says, so what's the difference between the wise and foolish builder? The analogy is hearing and practicing is to wisely building as hearing and not practicing is to foolishly building on sand, okay? Hearing and practicing is to wisely building on rock as hearing and not practicing is foolishly building on sand. What's the difference between these two? The difference between the wise and foolish builders is that one practices what he he or she hears and the other does not. Practice is what makes the difference, okay? So, uh, you know, to, to reframe on Christ the solid rock I stand, like, uh, like on, on, practicing the, on practicing the words of Christ, the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand, right? It's about practicing the teachings of Jesus. That is what creates the solidity. That's what creates the rock that we stand on. Wise and stable Christian life requires hearing and practicing. Not one or the other, but both. And in this way, I think it's a call to integrity, that the core beliefs that we carry would inform how we practically go about our lives. So if we want the stable foundation that will carry us through the wildness of life, it means being practitioners of Jesus' message. It means showing up to the Jesus Christ Love Dojo every day, being a proud card-carrying member in regular attendance, And frankly, guys, by you being at church today, you're doing it, so good job. Um, You're here to hear the words of Jesus, to learn from them, practice them in the form of worship and prayer, interaction with other believers, and so on. These are important ways that we practice Christ's teaching. And we are practitioners of Jesus' teaching. This is central what it means to be a Christian. But I think this begs a really important question for us. And that question is, what tends to stand in the way of us being practitioners of Jesus' teaching? And I can think of three things that stand in the way. First, we haven't heard or are unclear about Jesus' teachings. Second, we overcomplicate or oversimplify his teachings so we don't have to practice them. That's like a little bit of a call out, all right? Um, And lastly, we fear his teachings and what they will ask of us. So first, I'd love to create some clarity around what Jesus is actually teaching us, what Jesus is inviting us to practice, calling us to practice for a stable life. And to do that, I'm gonna do a quick little flyover of the Sermon on the Mount and some, some like big themes that I think emerge. So what are Jesus's teachings? What are they anyways? And a few sweeping themes. I think Jesus invites us into some important shifts of perspective and practice in relation to our own hearts, God, others, and the world. And we'll run through them one by one. When it comes to our lives and how we follow Jesus, I think to our hearts, uh, there's an important shift that takes place, and that is a shift from changing behavior to transforming the heart from changing behavior to transforming the heart. This is part of what Jesus teaches. Jesus does this in the Sermon on the Mount 
with one of his favorite techniques. He uses it over and over in chapter five where he exposits an Old Testament teaching of the law and then he expands it to the heart. Uh, To give an example, from chapter five, verses 27, 28, he says, you have heard that it was said, Old Testament teaching, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus what was, takes what was an instruction around behavior, not to commit adultery, and expands it to a condition of heart, that, the condition of heart that produces adultery, which is lust, right? So Jesus is interested in the heart root of sinful action as much as he is the action itself, all right? So Jesus wants to kind of really nip in the bud uh, adultery, and so the way to do that is to take care of the lust that fuels adultery. And I want to reflect on how brilliant this is for one second. Just like Dallas Willard says, Jesus is a brilliant, brilliant teacher. And by way of analogy, right, um, there's this one quote that's often attributed to Einstein where he says, no problem can be solved by the same kind of thinking that created it. So Einstein looked at these problems in physics, all right? Um, I'm gonna nerd out for a second, all right? Um, Looks at these problems in physics and um, and like actual physicists in this room, I'm really sorry because I'm, I'm not you and you know, uh, you, you know this better than I do. But there's these problems that like arose because people are trying to solve these problems set up in like Newtonian physics and they just were like breaks in the system, right? Things didn't quite work out. And then Einstein comes around and he says, oh yeah, if you're gonna try to solve it with that style of physics, it's actually not gonna work. Instead, we need to create this whole another style of physics, this like theory of relativity and the way energy relates to mass and so on and so forth. He needs to take a problem that exists on one plane, a problem that, that has to do with like this style of going about it and do another way of thinking, a whole another system of thought to, to handle the problem that's going on over here, right? Jesus does an equally brilliant thing what was a problem on the level of behavior, like how we act, something like committing adultery or something like that, can be solved on the level of heart, okay? So if we're gonna behave our ways, our way out of a behavior issue, well, good luck with that, right? It's, it doesn't work. It actually doesn't work. It's, it becomes endless striving and exhaustion and it just turns into I've gotta do better, I've gotta do better, I've gotta do better, but if there's a simultaneous motion to observe the heart for the sake of transforming the very root of what is leading to these practices, these behaviors, then we have a chance. And this is what Jesus instructs his followers to practice. Jesus is invested in the project of the law's influence and transformation of our hearts, such that the demands of the law are naturally fulfilled by hearts soaked in love, peace, kindness, patience, and so on. And I'll say that again, that the demands, these actions, these behaviors of the law are naturally fulfilled by hearts soaked in love, peace, kindness, patience, and hope, and so on. Therefore, to be practitioners of Jesus's teaching in this regard means being a heart person, being invested in the heart transformation work that Jesus has in store for his disciples. 
Likewise, training at the Jesus Christ Love Dojo will require the participation of your heart, okay? In fact, this transformation of heart might be one of the main goals of Christ's teaching. This is the wax on, wax off of Christ's way of living and instructing us. And another is shifting how we relate to God in our religious practice. By shifting from vain posturing to honoring the Father in secret. Jesus is invested in the true worship of the Father. And he instructs his disciples not to worship for the vain acclaim of others. In Matthew 6, 2 through 4, Jesus says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their rewards in full. But when you give to the the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Worship and religious acts like giving to the needy are not about vainly seeking the honor of others. Jesus instructs us to live out the most devout parts of our religious lives in secret so that it honors the father. So again, to be a practitioner in the Jesus Christ Love Dojo, therefore, means not leveraging your good religious acts for personal acclaim. It means keeping holy secrets between you and God. And I think that creates intimacy and tenderness in our relationship with God. And it keeps us from pride and vanity. And it keeps us from the way that our vanity actually creates envy in other people, too. There is also a shift in how we approach relationships if we're gonna follow Jesus' teaching. A shift from harboring resentment and judgment to forgiving, reconciling, and serving. From harboring resentment and judgment to forgiving, reconciling, and serving. In the context of describing the hardship of anger in the heart, the insidiousness of anger in the heart, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, if they're angry towards you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. To be reconciled to people is an important practice of Jesus' followers. And a side note on this verse, I think it's interesting that Jesus calls, to, calls us to an extra level of accountability where he says um, in verse 23, if, you're, if you believe that your brother or sister has something against you, right? Um, so let's just say I have a problem with a guy and, um, and I think he might have issues with me, right? Before I like show up and praise and take communion and all of these things, Uh, part of what needs to take place in my heart is like this commitment to seek out this guy and try to resolve what's in between us, all right? To bring clarity to the relationship. This is what moving in reconciliation in Jesus's style looks like. And it's not just about if I'm angry, I have to go approach the person. It's if I think anybody is angry with me, I approach the person. That's the, the call up in accountability. 
So we are called to be initiators of the reconciliation conversation between us. Likewise, Christian practitioners are called to be forgiving people. Jesus gives an addendum to the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer is, prayer is full of like, lots of important stuff, but one of the things that he tries to emphasize directly after the Lord's Prayer is forgiveness. And he says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. So to be a practitioner of Jesus' way to work out in the Jesus Christ Love Dojo means living in reconciliation and forgiveness with one another. This is how we live in service to one another, not resentment and judgment, not leaving things hanging between us, but reconciliation and forgiveness between us. I just recently had one of these reconciliation conversations with a friend of mine. And it was something that was hanging between us since December. It, we kind of had like a pretty big blow up and contentious argument. And reconciling was powerful and important, not just for us, but for those also affected by unresolved anger um, around us. So some highly practical advice if you want to move in this practice of Jesus' teaching, reconciling, begin with the end in mind, okay? If you're approaching reconciliation, know that you are approaching reconciliation. You're not, you're not approaching like dredging up the past so that you can like finally teach them and finally prove how right you are, right? Uh, it's about reconciling, being in right standing with one another. So it might sound something like, like, hey, Jake. I don't know who Jake is, but like, hey, Jake, I noticed there's something feeling off between us and I want to clear the air, make sure that we're in good and loving standing with one another. Are you open to talking it through so we can have a good connection between us? All right, you just set up what this conversation is for and let that be like true north that guides you through it. And if it's not, then there's chances, uh, there's a good possibility it will uh, basically feel like more like an accusational conversation than a reconciling conversation. So to set this um, end in mind, when we have these conversations with forgiveness and curiosity guiding the way, it, and that's how we make amends. Following, Jesus's, uh, following Jesus turns us into practitioners of forgiveness and reconciliation. And lastly, I think there's a shift in our interaction with the world. From similar, similarity to the world to counterculturally representing the kingdom. To be a follower of Jesus means having a tenuous relationship with the world. Jesus describes this in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, speaking to his followers, he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on, sit, on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. While we are meant not to be, faint, to be vain in presenting our good works for the praise of others, we are meant to let our good works be seen as witness to the world, an encouragement to the church, and most importantly, to glorify the Father. And practitioners in Jesus' way, in the Jesus Christ Love Dojo, let our good deeds shine before others, especially as witness to the world of the goodness of God. And if we want to be practitioners of Christ's message, this is what we're doing in relationship to our hearts, to God, 
to others, and to the world. And hopefully, if any of you are having trouble just wanting clarity around what is Jesus' teaching, um, you know, that's like a greatest hits, quick run through, through the Sermon on the Mount, in my opinion. So, these four shifts that I think were important. But this leads to another barrier where we overcomplicate or, or oversimplify Christ's teachings. So why do we overcomplicate or over, oversimplify the teachings of Jesus? I'll answer this question with a hunch that I have by way of story. Okay, so a friend told me this story. And this friend serves in his youth group at his church. And just like any youth group, uh, there's a class clown in the group. And this class clown is notorious for derailing whatever is happening in the youth group. And one time, they were in a special time during the gathering with these youth. And the leaders were trying to open up some more like intimate sharing of heart, practicing, you know, what Jesus is calling his disciples to be more vulnerable and heart aware people. Just awesome stuff, right? They're doing good work in this youth group. And the leader uh, pulls this jokester aside. Um, you know, let's just call him Jake again, right? So Jake, he says, we're going to have a special sharing time where we want the mood to be more serious and vulnerable, okay? And, and Jake is just like, okay. Um, he's just like, I'm, I'm all right with that. So the group prays. You know, lights are probably dimmed. I'm just imagining like all these people just like really uh, in a solemn place. And then the leader asks if anyone wants to share. And Jake raises his hand. And the leader checks in and he's like, hey, Jake, is this a serious comment? Um, remember what we talked about? And then he says, yeah, it's serious. And he's like, okay, go ahead. A nice long pause. And then Jake says, can God create a rock so heavy he can't lift it? <laughs> and at this point in the story, okay, this was hilarious for me at this point. All right. Um, so I, I, I like, I was like, weeping with tears, uh, like tears of laughter as my friend told me this story. Um, because in this moment of like solemn heart sharing, <laughs> this is like this jokester's plan, like his burning question, can God create a rock so heavy he can't lift it? And I, I'm telling you this story because I think it's a caricature that exists in youth groups that also exists in adult Christian life as well. So the, the one person who asks the derailing questions, which I do all the time, we all do all the time, and we're, perhaps we're really genuinely interested in these kinds of things, but we ask them in absolutely the wrong context, and it actually derails our practice of Jesus' style of life, right? And I think we do this as adults, just like I said, in more sophisticated ways. Um, so something, for example, when it comes to practicing forgiveness, we start asking, you know, what does Jesus really mean by forgiveness, right? What does that Greek word mean? Do, do I have to forgive if I'm not asked forgiveness first? Like, just these overcomplicating questions that keep us from simply practicing forgiveness towards those who have sinned against us. And I, I start to wonder in this case if these questions have less to do with genuine curiosity and a desire to be clear and more to do with um, a desire not to have to take responsibility for the teaching, all right? Um, and I'm not, 
I'm not making a blanket statement about that. Sometimes I think we do just have genuine questions. We've got to get figured out in order to be clear. But being a practitioner in Jesus' way of life means asking questions so that you can get clear and decisively moving when it is clear, all right? Not deferring over and over again with complicating questions or simplifying observations. Now, I think the last potential barrier to consider um, when we think of ourselves as practitioners of Christ's teaching, things that get in the way, we might be afraid of what Jesus' teachings will ask of us. We might fear Jesus' teachings. Why might we do this? We question whether this way will actually bring us stability, I think. Will it be worth it? And I'd say there's probably only one way to find out. Um, And that one way is to try it. To To this question, like, is it really worth it? Will this actually bring stability to my life? Um, I think of the words of Jesus' disciples. When Jesus asked them if they want to leave and stop following, those closest to him, they said, Jesus, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. So for those who knew him best and had, had seen him model this way of life, they're just like, oh yeah, obviously I'm going to stick around. Um, you know what's up, Jesus. Like, you have the words of eternal life. And for us, I think it's, I believe, at least worth trying to be practitioners. And maybe beyond trying, training as practitioners of Jesus' love. But speaking of trying things out, this one time, I got a Groupon uh, for Karav Maga classes. Like... uh, which Karav Maga, in case you don't know, it's like this Israeli martial arts. Um, and it's known for being extremely uh, aggressive and just like counterintuitively, like if a person is about to punch you, like you strike first and you end the fight before like it ever even began, right? <laughs> That's what Karav Maga is all about. So it's super intense. And I got a Groupon for it, got a deal on it. I was just like, I'll give it a try. So I went to my first class. I meet my instructor and he's just this like stacked guy, super disciplined. He could, he could break me. And I'm not a small person, but this guy could break me like very easily. And what went on for the next hour and a half was just tons of push-ups and squats and crunches, like learning all of these defense moves that are just like way, way more vicious than I ever am in my life any other time. And I tell the instructor, like at the end of the class, like, hey, this was really great. I'm excited for next class. And we exchange numbers. And, um, and then I'm like pumped for it, right? Like I was like, that's such a cool class. But I get sick. So I send him a text and I'm like, hey, I got sick. Um, and he says over text back to me, he's like, hey, good. Thanks for letting me know. I hate flakes. Thanks for like letting me know. Um, <laughs> and then... <laughs> And, and then I'm like, um, yeah, I, I hate flakes too. <laughs> and I was just like, I feel like this is legitimate because I actually got sick. Like I had, a, I had a good excuse. And then, all right, so this is the most important part of the story. Um, you know, in my training in Krav Maga, 
I never showed up for another class ever again. <laughs> My first and last class. I totally flaked, right? I didn't follow through. And then I let the shame of not following through keep me from ever following through. So basically, you know, I'm still just like this defenseless guy. <laughs> Which, you know, maybe that's not so bad after reading Sermon on the Mount, you know, turn the other cheek, like why do I need to learn aggression, right? That's what rationalization sounds like, just in case you're wondering, that's what rationalization sounds like. All this to say, if you're training in the Jesus Christ Love Dojo, which we all are, it's best to show up every day, to train with fervor consistently. And if it's been a while since you were intentional about training, here's the good news. Jesus loves flakes. He loves us. He loves people who haven't paid attention for a while. In the Beatitudes, he says, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Poor in spirit basically means the people who are bad at religion, all right? He loves people who are bad at religion. Those are the blessed people. Jesus loves flakes like me. And he mostly wants us there with him. He wants us to grow wants us to be on the mission of love alongside the rest of his church to create a stable foundation of life for you and for others. So if we practice Jesus's teachings, not just hear them, but practice them, this is the stuff that creates stability, a rock, a solid foundation that can carry us through the inevitable storms of life. Notice that for the wise builder and the foolish builder alike, the storms came for both, all right? Hardships on its way. If it's not today, it's tomorrow or the next week, right? All of us know this. But in Jesus's words, we have an invitation to practice his teachings and live into the stability that comes from being a practitioner of Christian living. So are you guys up for being practitioners of Christ's teaching to join the Jesus Christ Love Dojo? Are you up for it? Yeah, yeah all right. Yes. I'm so glad you said so. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you so much for the invitation to a stabilizing way of life that comes from practicing your teaching. May we be faithful in that, and we thank you for the grace that you give us over and over and over again when we screw it up or forget that we're even practicing your way of life. And God, we come uh, in all boldness and let ourselves be known as your followers, and we commit to following your way being people of forgiveness and reconciliation, being people who don't chase vanity but honor you, Father. People of the heart, God. So Lord, we love you and we're grateful. And I just ask that this would be true in our church's life, that we would all be practitioners of Christ's way of life, that we would know it, 
we would live it day in and day out. We love you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.